0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gamerpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bradford Carlton. Today, I have a very special guest with us. I have Joel Cauley all the way out of Australia. How's it going, Joel?
1: I'm doing pretty well, Bradford. How about yourself? How are you doing over there in, uh, in the U.S. of
0: A? Oh, it's a beautiful sunny day in Las Vegas. I can't complain. I mean, how, where, what part of the country are you in?
1: Uh, So I'm in Melbourne, Australia. So um, are are you familiar with Australia? um, Generally, but
0: go ahead and explain for my listeners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So um, Melbourne, Melbourne's probably uh, the second largest city that we have here in Australia. It's right down uh, the southern, right down the southern point of Australia. So if you, if you imagine Sydney kind of being in the middle on the east coast, you kind of go down uh, uh, from there. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's the best city in
0: Australia. Fantastic. All right. So why don't we get started by me asking you, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, currently I'm, I'm a manager
1: with uh, one of the fastest growing uh, influencer management groups uh, called Misfits Management Group. Uh, we operate about 35 um, channels at the moment. YouTube channels are quite notable ones. Uh, Call Me Carson, uh, Misfits, uh, Jay Schlatt, Wellen, and uh, Viva La Le Dirt League, and a number of others, uh, we reach somewhere around 200 million YouTube views uh, on average per month throughout our channels, and uh, we have something like over 37 million subscribers across the network as well.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I'm, I really want to dig into that. Um, really, before I get started, though, I always kind of go through a set, a couple of questions. Let's go do that, and then I really want to dig. So, um cool. I'm going to ask you the same question I start every interview with on a scale of one to 10, 10 being high. How weird are you, Joel?
1: Probably give myself about a seven. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider myself any, I'm, I'm I'm not much more weird than, than most other people, uh, to, to be honest with you. I'd probably give myself that seven. Uh, you know, there's two extra points because I feel like, uh, my propensity to, to take risk, uh, might just be that little bit higher uh, than the average person maybe.
0: Okay. Um, can you like, what do you mean by take risks? What what kind of stuff do you do? Um, well, look, I, I think
1: within, within the work that I've done, uh, yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more. I've, I've been working in entertainment, uh, since I was about 16 years old. I'm, I'm now 32. And if there's something I've, I've kind of seen, uh, or, or experienced rather that's, that's helped me along that journey. Um, Working in entertainment has been the ability to, I, I guess, look at an opportunity or, or something that might not even be seen as an opportunity, and say, "Okay, well, it's going to be a massive risk, uh, you know, to to put myself into into this business and onto this path." And I guess I've I've just looked at that a couple of different times, and I've I've done it, and
0: and here I am now. All right. Speaking of uh, you know taking risks, this is your first podcast, isn't it? It is, yeah. Your first <laughs> yeah, one yeah. ever. I really appreciate you coming on then. No,
1: no worries. Well, look, thank, thanks, for, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it is my first podcast. I mean, I, ironically, we, uh, we, we manage a rather large podcast, uh, uh, Misfits podcast. But, uh, you know, there aren't too many occasions for me to jump on them. But, uh, you know, thanks for having me, Brad.
0: Absolutely. All right. So I want your gamer cred. We'll start with the gamer part of Gamerpreneur. So when did you first start playing video games?
1: First started playing video games when I was a teen, uh, maybe around 13 14 years old uh, I remember picking up uh, Final Fantasy 7 uh, on the PlayStation uh, back in the day and I, I don't know why I picked up that game I think I was just walking through a store uh, with, with my mom at the time we were looking at something to buy for the PlayStation I just got and I don't know it, it seemed interesting uh, next you know You start playing that game for a couple of a couple of weeks and the next thing you know, you've you've delved into this, you know, highly creative, super, super deep, massive game. And uh I I guess I just uh got started uh through through RPGs and uh
0: yeah, love it. Absolutely. I can imagine if it was like your first like real game, like seeing that package, nothing special, big guy with a sword, right? And and I remember my friends had to browbeat me into playing that game it was big here in the States and like, I wasn't really into the final fantasies and the RPGs and like, uh tried it. And then i like, probably just like you, like, wow, like this game just keeps going.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of didn't end. And, and I think the, you know, probably part of the thing that, that I was, uh, I was drawn to about it was, you know, on the store, most other games are just one, one CD. Right. Uh, but then you, you pick up uh final fantasy seven. And at the time it had four, four CDs in it. And I thought to myself, well, there's got to be something good there. Um, I mean, if, if they've got enough content to pack four CDs worth of stuff, then it's probably worth checking out. Um, as, as I've gotten older, uh, I've probably moved away from the RPGs, uh, a bit more than when I was a kid. and, and, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, uh, Brad. It's it's hard to find the time for an RPG. You know, <laughs> once once you get that. out of high school and you have a job and and you have all of these commitments and girlfriends and dogs and, you know, it's hard to hard to sit down at an RPG for hours and uh, and and lose yourself in it. So, I'd say you know, uh, lately I've just been playing a lot of uh, a lot of RTS. Uh, I love real time strategy. Uh, I love strategy games like like Civ Six. Um, I love uh, RTS games like Company of Heroes 2 Okay. Uh, and uh, and of course, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get into some competitive um, FPSs like uh, I've been smashing season four of Apex Legends at the moment, and uh, I got uh, got a pretty good win last night. Actually, I was pretty happy, uh, pretty happy with my performance. But yeah. at the moment, it's it's all about the sort of games that uh, I don't have to dedicate. Uh, a lot of time to it's it's about finding those games where I can jump on and I can play for 30 minutes or an hour and maybe there's you know there's some rounds so I can jump in and I can play a game and then that game is over I can go off and I can do something else I can look at an email or uh, have a chat with a friend or or, or do whatever it is, do a task of some kind, and then go back to it. Uh, gone are the days where I can just sit down for hours in front of a computer and, and uh, sink into a
0: story. I absolutely understand. I have a wife and family now. Although I have one question on that because you know Apex, I can understand. You know RTS games, I understand, but you said Civ six, like. That thing's like crack. I, you start that game, it's now two in the morning. Like, where'd my day go?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess the benefit of it, though, is the turn-based aspect of it, right? So uh, although you can sit there and you can go, you can go, click, all right, one more turn. All
0: right, <laughs> just one oh, more. Yeah. Like, I just to yeah, yeah, move this one move. Just
1: one more turn Yeah, I'll click there. Oh, it's, it's only two until I finish that next building. <laughs> all right, two more clicks, two more clicks. Um, the, the, the lucky thing is, you know, that you can just kind of save it. And exit and then go back to it but you're right like trying to trying to try and not press that next click is the next thing right
0: <laughs> all right so uh, what games are coming out you're looking forward to
1: what am i looking forward to um i think cyberpunk uh 2077 um you know talking about rpgs um cd project red have just i i think really taken that rpg you know format and just just blown it sky high um oh, yeah. i played the the, recent, uh, the most recent Witcher, uh, Wild Hunt. And mm-hmm. uh, just just like with Final Fantasy 7, you know, at the time of playing, and I was kind of blown away with the, uh, I, I guess, the level of detail and the amount of content that was provided. It, um, everything was amazing. It just seems like whatever project uh, CD Projekt Red do now is just gold. Um, so I, I feel like that is probably gonna be one of the, the big next things, but... Um, also, uh, looking pretty keenly at Riot Games, uh, finally putting that S uh, on the end of their uh, on the end of their title, uh, Project A, um, their competitive F- FPS that they have coming out soon, mm-hmm. and anything that Riot Games does, they they do very very well, and uh, it's encouraging to see them take on you know, the tactical FPS, uh, game, I, I've reckoned that they're going to come out with something really, really, really special. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, too.
0: Absolutely. And I expect it to blow up very quickly too.
1: No doubt. Um, you know the the people behind Riot Games understand hype. Um, they they obviously took the the eSport of League of Legends from uh, nothing to the biggest eSport in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know they they clearly know what they're doing in terms of uh, in terms of scaling a product. And I have no doubt that uh, the support they're going to have behind Project A is probably going to blow it sky high pretty quick.
0: Fantastic. All right. So you're an influencer manager. Um, Before we get into that, can you kind of walk us through your professional background? How did you end up where you're at?
1: Yeah, so um, I I, I spoke earlier about the fact that uh, I started off in entertainment when I was 16. Uh, So I I, I guess I could say that uh, my path, my career path really, really started there. I, um, I was in a band. You know, I was uh, playing guitar and and uh, wanted to play a live show, and I wanted to be a cool rock star. Um, but of course, in in Canberra, uh, Australia's national capital, uh, it's a, it's a small town, and uh, it's uh, the opportunities there, especially within entertainment, are really quite slim. And as a 16-year-old who just wants to play a gig, and you know, be a cool rock star, it's uh, it's hard to get across the line. So. Mm-hmm. I, I, I looked around and I was like, well, okay, well, how, how am I going to do this? Uh, no one was putting on gigs, so I figured I'll do it myself. So I got in contact with the uh, the local youth center who, who happened to have a stage and a PA there that you could hire for, for a very small sum. I think it was like $50 or something like that. Uh, I had to put together uh, the lineup myself. I had to put together the bill. So... Um, and, and then of course market and sell tickets to the event and make back my $50 and whatever else pay the bands who are being on the gig as well. Um, I had no idea what I was doing when, when, when I jumped into it, I was just a 16 year old kid, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, I thought to myself, well, someone's got to do it. Right. So I said, yes, yes to the, uh, to the youth center. I, uh, asked uh, a number of people who I knew in the music industry, if, uh, industry the the music scene uh, at, at that stage if they knew people with bands who wanted to play um, so I, I found a, a number of different bands locally who wanted to jump on the bill I jumped on was it uh, was it Microsoft Word I think I might have made my first uh, tour poster for uh, <laughs> jumped on Microsoft Word and made this uh, made this poster and, and just got my friends and and uh, people I knew in my school and other schools to to put these posters up around different, uh, different, uh, you know, bus transit sections and bus stops and whatnot. And that very first gig, I ended up pulling over 200 kids to the gig, you know? And yeah, I I was kind of blown away by the fact that that many people came. I I mean, I I was, I was a nobody. Um, I, I guess some of the bands that I had play had had some good fans and maybe Maybe it was the marketing that we did, maybe just that word of mouth, um, you know, that word of mouth power was just good enough to pull that many kids to a gig. And that was, you know, $10, $10 a head over 200 kids. So I definitely made that $50 back and I was able to uh, pay the bands for their time and I was able to keep a bit of profit for myself. And by the end of that, I, I thought to myself, well, maybe I don't want to be a rock star you know, maybe I don't want to be the guitarist on the stage. I mean, maybe I do because it's still pretty cool regardless. Everyone wants to be the guitarist on the stage, but no one at the moment is putting on the gig and I've got a pretty good response. So maybe this is where I should be. And that kind of started it out. That's wonderful. Uh, and, yeah. I ended up, um, going from that. Uh, I threw a, threw a really big house party, um, with a with a friend of mine that had hundreds of people come to it absolute hundreds of people come to that um and i thought okay well well this is the second event and a lot of people have come to it so maybe i'm on to a thing here uh when when high school was over i uh started to work at a nightclub uh in canberra that was called bar 32 it was uh it was the the alternative nightclub in canberra right it was like you know playing uh playing all of that kind of old indie rock sort of stuff that was like really cool, but not cool. You know, you, you only, you only kind of knew about that music if if you were on that, uh, on that fringe of what was cool. Right. right. And uh, that club just, just took off. You know, we, we, we had a night there on a, on a Friday night that was just all about that, that indie, that indie music. And uh, we had a number of DJs that played that. And I was, I was uh, operating and supervising the bar at the time. And we would have just thousands of people come through it was just huge um, I ended up looking after some of the bookings for the venue um, so we ended up bringing a couple of DJs down uh, from Sydney uh, we ended up working with a couple of uh, a couple of music festivals a couple of uh, quote-unquote bush doofs in the in in Canberra um, and then of course from there the nightclub scene and and the live music scene I I was working on until I was about 21 so it was probably about you know three years worth of uh worth of the whole club nightclub scene and bradford that that wasn't for me you know um i, I really was well, you didn't you, want to do the nightclub scene what do you mean i didn't want to do the nightclub have you seen nightclubs i mean i mean sure as a, as a 19 as a 1920 <laughs> year old yeah it was it was mad fun but you know um maybe maybe you know, it was just a little bit too chaotic and, you know, I didn't really want to be in, in EDM, right. That's not really what I, what I wanted to do. I wanted to do live music, guitars, drums. I wanted that, that majesty of that stage performance. Right. And, uh, you know, I kind of got sick of the, uh, the EDM and the nightclub scene. So I said to myself, well, okay, maybe it's about time you go and get a real job. Right. I mean, if, you know, you've, you've done this, you've done this entertainment thing for a couple of years and uh, you've had a good run and the nightclub scenes kind of drowning you, drowning you a bit. So how about you go out there and you get a real job? So I I went and worked at a, at an energy retailer. um, Just a, just a basic call center job, right? Just whatever, whatever, whatever the first job it was that I could pick up that was going to get me away from EDM and just something normal, right? What normal people do and uh, and so i jumped in there and i got really really good really quickly at uh at the computer system that we were working on right it was this uh this ms dos uh system that helped to to you know uh work with people's bills right you sure. operate it to to look at someone's bill and and sort out what it was etc uh got very good at working that system and uh i was assisting the the melbourne uh collections team in in operating uh that that computer system, right? I knew a little bit more about that system than they did. And when uh, a problem would get escalated uh, to that Melbourne team uh, from, from the Canberra office, the Melbourne team would end up calling me and asking me to help them to sort out the problem that was escalated from our office in the first place. Right. And, uh, and so I, you know, looked at the opportunities that were in Melbourne cause uh, cause I thought, well, Canberra is just a small town right? And I'd been working uh, at this, uh, this normal job for a little while and I was starting to get that, uh, to get that hunger to get back into entertainment, right? Yeah. But I thought, well, if I do it in Canberra, I'm probably just going to find myself back in the, in the nightclub scene, right? And that's not what I want. So I took a job uh, working with that, uh, with that Melbourne team uh, that I was assisting, right? So I went down into Melbourne. I was staying in this normal job thing. I was doing the proper job thing. And uh, joined that Melbourne team uh, and uh, worked there, uh, you know, for, for a couple of years. I ended up doing some pretty interesting jobs. The think, just before I left, I was working uh, the revenue protection uh, department, so assisting federal agencies and uh, and uh, you know, police agencies in uh, federal investigations. Right? Um, you know, like when when a, when the you know, Victorian police would bust a crop house, right? This is a house that, that uh, some drug dealers would convert to, to growing marijuana. Um, in order to do that, they would, um, you know, in order to do that, they would um, have to install a lot of electricity in there. There'd be a lot of lamps, a lot of really high powerful lamps, a lot of extractor fans and all of these different things. And in, in order to, A, uh, not cost them a bunch, right, these people who were converting these grow houses, they would uh, they would bypass the electricity meter, and uh, of course bypassing the electricity meter is essentially stealing uh electricity from the electricity grid because it's not going through the count. So we would uh we would assist that that uh, investigations team in, in um analyzing how much electricity they may have stolen, helping them, you know, uh but that sort of thing. So it was pretty cool. Sure. But <clears throat> but you know, I uh, I still wanted to to be in entertainment while I was doing this this uh this real job, right? This, this proper job. And although it was pretty cool, it, it still wasn't what I really wanted to do. Um, I became friends with, uh, with this, uh, with this girl who worked with me and, uh, she was dating a drummer of this band called Nao Bliviscaris. Bliviscaris is, is right now one of the, one of the biggest metal bands out of Australia, right? They, they tour Europe constantly. They're all over the USA. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty big stuff. And it just so happened that she was dating the drummer of this band. All right. And, uh, I thought, Oh, okay, cool. Maybe I should come along to a gig. Maybe I should check this out. Right. And so I did. And I was like, ah, here we are. I'm back in, back in music. Right. This is where I want to be. Uh, and so I was always pretty good at photography. Right. Um, and, uh, I thought to myself, well, well, maybe I'll just go to these gigs and I'll take photos of bands, right? I'll just start taking some photos just for fun. Cause I met this gig and I don't want to just walk around and stand around doing nothing. I want to do something. Right. So I went around and I started taking a lot of photos and, and through that, I, I got to know a bunch of people in the Melbourne music scene. And, uh, at one stage around, around the age, like just, just at the end of, uh, the age of 21, I, uh, uh, had, had a decision I had to make with the real job. So, a- AGL, uh, which is the energy company I was working with at the time, uh, were uh, re- reforming uh, a lot of the, the jobs that they had. A lot of jobs were being offshored, uh, teams were being changed, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I was offered a redundancy uh, for, for my role or to stay on, right? So, I was confronted with a decision. I was confronted with do you want to continue on this line of working a real job? right? Being this guy, I, I was offered a, offered a role uh, looking after a small team uh, do, doing the, the job that I was doing. You know, at 21 in the energy industry would have been pretty good money, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what I wanted, right? I really wanted to, at this point, because I was hanging around all the bands and I was taking photos again and I was back in that, Back in that that energy that I wanted to be in, I don't want to be part of that real that real job stuff. I don't want to be a, a part of that that corporate that corporate agenda man. Like you, you can't do that. Um, and so I took the redundancy, and and uh, and with that money, I started um, you know uh, my first company, uh, Axiom Touring. So Axiom Touring uh, initially uh, and its first stages was about assisting uh bands out of major cities like brisbane sydney and melbourne to taking their tours and finding opportunities in regional centers right places right. like yeah. canberra right so the inspiration uh for it really was well growing up in, in canberra there were no gigs right no one was taking gigs to canberra so i had to do it myself so maybe I could again kind of go back to what I was doing, uh, when I was younger and I could help some of those bigger bands go from Sydney or Melbourne to places like Canberra or or Ballarat or Geelong or whatever these regional towns are. Right. So I did that, um, you know, for, for, for a little bit and, uh, I, I got to know some, some much larger, uh, promoters, some, some much larger tour promoters. Um, and I ended up, uh, linking in with, with some of the, some of the biggest, uh, heavy metal and, uh, and contemporary and alternative music promoters in Australia. Right. So for five years, we operated, uh, production management, logistics management, tour management, all of the, all of the production logistical services that, that a tour requires, right. Booking flights, booking crew, um, you know, making sure that all of the the tech writers and the production writers and everything is set up, operating, you know, venue production, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. We operated that for about five years and ended up uh, just touring some of the coolest bands in the world, man. Like uh, we, you know, did a couple of shows with Northlane when Northlane was just coming up. We did a sold out show for Viata's Murder when they first came out with their their first gig. We toured Deltron thirty thirty from over in the states. Um, you know, we we just worked with some really 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 cool bands, and I had a had a small team uh, that was situated all around Australia. So I had uh, some staff members in in Brisbane, some staff in Sydney, some staff in Melbourne. Uh, some staff over in Perth that when a tour would come about, we would all, you know, uh, work together to coordinate, you know, just some really fantastic events. Um, so five years uh, we were operating that. Um, I ended up calling calling that quits because at the end of that five years, um, there was a tour for uh, a US band called a Skylit Drive, which was, uh, if you remember that whole emo scene, uh, you know, a Skylit I- Drive was like, yeah. 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 Skylar Drive was like one of those emo bands. Right. And it just turned out to just be a bad call. Right. It was just a bad tour that just didn't work out. The hype was not there. It was just a bad call. Right. It was just a mistake to, to try the tour. That bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was just bad. And, uh, I had a falling out with, uh, with my investors, um, because of that tour. Um, I had a falling out just, just with the agency because of that tour, um, and at the very same time, uh, I broke up with uh, with my girlfriend at the time, right? So I I was a little bit heartbroken uh, because of a broken relationship and I was definitely spirit broken because of a tour that didn't work and arguments mm-hmm. I had with yes. investors. So I kind of said to myself, well, maybe it's about time to, to move on from this, right? Maybe I should just stop operating um, Axiom Touring. And something else I, I kind of recognized while operating um through axiom was well australia is a small country right if if i thought that canberra was a small city you know and it was hard to get a gig in canberra it was certainly hard to to get gigs and certainly harder to get opportunities and entertainment in australia right yeah. through the axiom touring years you know i i um I started making friends and business colleagues over in LA. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just recognized very quickly that uh, the entertainment scene was so, 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 so much larger over in the U S and so, so, so much uh, smaller in Australia, especially for music, especially for alternative music, like, like heavy metal and alternative hip hop and such. And so I said, well, okay, music's, especially with, with what I want to do, with the sort of music I want to work with, it's, it's got a ceiling and it's not much further past what I'm currently doing, right? And in, in order to do that, I know, and I can see the sacrifices I'm going to have to make. I, I see the the trajectory that I'm going to have to take in that space and I'm just not going to get to where I want to get to if I continue to kind of follow that, right? So I have to do something else. I I, I know at this point, entertainment is absolutely where I want to be. Um, but it's just about where that right fit is for me.
0: How'd that lead you to Misfits?
1: Eventually with the Misfits. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, funnily enough, it's, uh, the, the, the situation of working with the Misfits and working with influencers, uh, is very much like rock and roll. Like, uh, especially, especially in the sense that, uh, the Misfits are doing live shows now with the Misfits podcast. It is, it is just, it's almost like taking, it's almost like everything I've, I've learned, you know, all of those mistakes that I had made in, in production management, logistics and operations and all of those things have now just been transferred to, uh, to what I'm doing at, at this stage now. So, okay. it's, so it's been an interesting space. All
0: right. So what, what is Misfits Management?
1: Misfits Management Group uh, is, is a, Sorry, let me restart that. <laughs> <laughs> Miss, Misfits Management Group is an influencer uh, um, influencer and YouTube uh, management company. Uh, okay. So, we look after and, and and manage the business for for a number of different channels. Uh, we assist those channels in um, you know finding opportunities for them, um, whether it be uh, finding new content avenues like uh, like podcasts, where are the whether it be finding opportunities to create uh, group content. Um, there's, there's those sorts of opportunities that we work on. We also operate um, a number of like revenue stream building um, uh, products as well. So we assist in, in, in brand management stuff. Uh, we, uh, you know, assist in sponsorships. Uh, we assist in merchandising for those channels and, and of course taking the channels that want to grow from, uh, you know, they're, they're hundred thousand or so to, to try to take them into their millions.
0: Okay. Wonderful. So what exactly does a manager, which is your role do there? What do we do? Um, your I, I, specifically.
1: Yeah. Um, so my role specifically is to work with a number of the different channels, uh, that, that we manage and I, I really assist them in finding those day-to-day deals, um, that, uh, help them to, to, to grow their revenue. Right. So you've, you've seen a number of those 60 to 92nd ad spots. Um, you know, we'll, we'll assist them in those. Uh, we, we assist in negotiating, um, you know, uh, licensing deals or, or, or IP deals for them. Uh, we, we assist them in uh, you know, with the misfits podcast, uh, for instance, you know, in the, in the live, the live show aspect of what they do. It's, it's really the day-to-day role can be everything from, you know, working on some sort of brand deal to maybe the next day, working on a collaboration uh, with another YouTuber or in some days it might just be, okay, well, what is our strategy for the next six to 12 months? And what's that next game that that might be the one that we want to work on? And and what's that next stream going to look like? And, you know, those sorts of things.
0: Very cool. So in other words, you really have a lot of experience on taking people who are probably already big and then just making them huge
1: yeah i mean the the operation of the management uh, company at the moment really is that we we look at channels that are currently sitting um, you know somewhere above that hundred thousand to five hundred thousand mark um, in terms of subscribers and and then really helping them to monetize uh, further what they have and then also grow further what they have right so w- once a once a creator has kind of hit that hit that subscriber mark. Or, or hit that that viewer base, right? If they have those concurrent viewers really really popping, you you know that that creator has got their finger on the pulse, right? You you know that that person understands their entertainment, they understand their audience, and you also know that they've committed themselves enough to the industry and the creative process that they're most likely to kind of take this content opportunity further, right? To, to be an entertainer in, in any aspect, music, YouTube, gaming, whatever, there's, there's a lot of commitment that is required. There's a lot of sacrifice that is required in, in order to get there. And you know, uh, the, the people who have really um, made it are the people who have made those sacrifices and made those commitments. So they're, they're the people that we really want to work with because in the same vein that they um, you know, uh, have to commit, we, we commit to them in the same way.
0: Okay. So let me start, you know, just kind of peppering you with questions that I come to mind. Um, so, um, what, what is something you think holds people back from kind of reaching that, that point where you'd be willing to consider them? Like, so maybe they're, you know, a couple you know, tens of thousands, but they're not quite there yet. What's, what's causing them not to be able to reach that, that goal. Um, it's,
1: that's a, that's a very subjective situation. Um, it's 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 hard to predict what is going to work and what isn't gonna work, right? I, I guess there are some very, very simple bread and butter things that 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 we could look at. Um we know for instance that consistency of content upload is very important. You know, if, if someone's sitting at that ten thousand, um it could it could be because they're not uploading um at a at a frequent basis, right? The the viewer really likes to know that you know, once a week, twice a week, what, well, once a month, whatever the frequency is, right? A, f- a fan of that channel wants to know that when they jump on YouTube or or whatever the platform is, that they know that at that point, whatever that frequency is, they can see that video from that creator, right?
0: Okay.
1: Consistency is definitely a key. Um, it, 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 it also comes down to, you know, the the, the content that you're creating, you know? Who 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 would have who would have thunk um, that you know anyone uh, would have gone from just making that that comedy CS:GO video to being you know 4.5 million viewers you know within the space of a couple of years? It's it's extremely difficult to predict. Um, I, I I guess all I can offer uh, the people who are really grinding at it is to I I, I guess experiment with the content that they're creating right okay um is uh and it, it, it can be anything like is is your authentic self really you know is is that exactly what people want to see right do do they really want to see that that grassroots authentic person making that content um and you know try that for a little bit does that work for you are people really popping do they really engage with the content that that you're making um if it doesn't maybe you know, swap to something else. Um, there are a couple of creators out there at the moment, massive, massive creators who have built their brand and brand and their audience around characters, right? That they portray. You know, mm-hmm. look at you look at uh, characters like Doctor Disrespect, right? Guy's huge, massive. You know, mm-hmm. two time champ. Although he isn't himself, you know, uh, an authentic guy. You know, the Doctor Disrespect character is, you know, it's it's a character, and and he he definitely hit hit the nail on the head when when he started to produce the content within that space. And that's something that people can consider as well, right? Like is the content that I'm making with, with this kind of content flow, um, is that working? Or maybe I could try, um, you know, creating a character around what it is. Does that work? Um, you could also look at the the content that you're making, right? Like the, the raw stuff. Am I a gaming creator? Am I a a mukbang channel? Am I uh, an ASMR channel? Right am I a travel vlog. Um, mm-hmm. these these are all things to consider, right? And once you do find yourself within whatever that whatever that creative space is, well how how do I make that better, right? And and how do I really stand out amongst the crowd? Like what's that what's what's that term, Bradford? Like a USP, right? Yeah, what's I mean, what's uh, a yeah. what, what is what is what is that thing that kind of stands out uh, amongst everything else and and really see if you can hone in on that and if you are sitting around that 10,000 mark, you know, have you considered all of these different things about the content that you're making and who you are on camera and how frequently you upload and all these things?
0: Okay. So say you have a a creator, a content creator who hit it. They, they, they found something that just has gone gangbusters. It's getting, you know, millions of views, but they don't particularly like doing that one thing. Like it works when they do it. They really want to do like these other collections of videos. what, What kind of advice would you give to them?
1: um yeah well i mean we we deal with that um you know all, all the time you know uh, it's uh, it's just the nature of the creative process right um you might not want to be a a fortnite channel forever right like maybe that's where you found your fame and that's where you found your audience but you know you you love league of legends right but you know that your audience loves fortnite right so that's that's what they do um it's it's a it's a transitional process that everyone needs to be uh, realistic about it. We, we really do encourage our creators to, um, you know, to create whatever it is they want. Um, but the, the realistic nature of it is, well, sometimes you have to take it a little bit slow, right? So if you do want to move to another game, uh, maybe, maybe starting off playing that other game on another platform outside of your YouTube, right? So maybe jumping over to Twitch, right? And maybe, maybe you start playing that other game on Twitch, and you start seeing how that audience interacts with that other content on that other platform, right? Is that working out for you? And then that's something you really enjoy doing. Then fantastic. Maybe once then you've played a couple of games on Twitch and it's had a good response, maybe you then make a highlights reel of, of what that is. Right. Um, you might not want to uh, immediately move that content to that main channel, that, that, you know uh fortnite channel that you created maybe you want to set up a second channel on youtube right so maybe you set up um whatever whatever your name is bradford channel 2 right and on uh, on bradford channel 2 maybe that's where you start uploading those uh you know those league of legends highlights that you got from your twitch right and yeah. you can start to communicate the fact that you have more than one channel to your audience right you can say hey this uh this this channel and all of my audience here uh you can check out bradford channel 2 i've been playing a bit of you know league of legends go and check it out over there um that's that's probably how i'd suggest that, that people start to move move from one to the that's other sick.
0: okay um oh, i had a question <laughs> let's see uh,
1: i i do like coffee more than i like tea was that the question i'm definitely a coffee that. guy
0: oh man i had a good one too um youtube content creators
1: just just quickly is this chair too squeaky because i keep hearing it
0: no i don't i don't mind no okay um oh i I totally blanked oh no (laughs) i've lost my mojo (laughs) oh no the Um, flow (laughs) i I was in flow and then i lost it so (laughs) so these content creators um I can't even think of a question at the moment. This has not happened to me before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you want, you want me, me to, to ask you one? Should I ask you a question?
0: Would that help? Um, sure, if you want. Yeah.
1: Mm. What, uh, what brought you into this space, Bradford? What, 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 what makes you passionate about gaming and, uh, and the game of Preneur?
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, So I, it's a little bit of a backstory. I started gaming when I was, before I even remember, you know, two years old or so. And I would be at babysitter's houses because my parents, we lived near San Francisco. We were two hours away from San Francisco. um, And my parents worked there. So they had a two hour commute there, two hours back, eight hours during the day. I was basically at babysitter's my entire childhood. So I'd be playing Nintendo at their houses and I was, I just got into it because as a kid, you know, it was a new thing back then. You play video games and I, that just continued through my entire childhood because my parents, you know, were never there. They just bought me video game systems to keep me occupied. And then I became a teenager watching myself and it was still video games because that's all I knew. And that continued through college. I played world of Warcraft. Uh, I was guild leader, raid leader, main tank for, you know, the high end raiding guild, not the best, but, you know, decent on my server. Um, And then. I went to law school and law schools, 300 pages of reading a night, every single night for three years straight. I barely had time to play video games, a little bit here and there, but you know, my 10 hour gaming sessions that you, you mentioned like.
1: Yep. Yeah, going, right?
0: Right, gone. So, I get out of law school and I get a job, you know, a real job and I'm working for a court and that's eight hour days plus, you know, time in the afternoon or evenings when I'm working with the judge and then, you know, no time to play games like, oh, great, that's not so fun. So, I went to private practice, maybe this will be better, I get some free time there and didn't happen. I, I was I'm so good at my job. They made me partner after seven months of being at that law practice. I was one of the youngest people ever made partner at a law firm in Ohio and you know, possibly the country. Um, but again, you know, you're working your tail off. So no time for games. And like, I'm still trying, I have this backlog of games at home. Like I keep trying to get to and so I'm like, okay. And my, my wife then like, Hey, let's start our own practice. If you can like do these great things where you were, I'm like, Sure, let's do it. So I go into our own practice. And we, when you start a business, as you know, it's, it's again, just a slog. Every day you're, you're, you're grinding, trying to get the people in, trying to get you know, the marketing and the work. And so we built this practice over a couple of years. We ended up hiring three attorneys, had three staff members, beautiful office, uh, one of the fastest growing firms in Northeast Ohio. But still, like, you, you wake up one day and it's just like, where's my life come? Like, I never really wanted this life for myself. So I kind of left the law. Um, I had been a business coach for a little bit, but then I really kind of went full bore on business coaching thinking like, this is it. This will give me more free time. It's, it's more money, less work. And that was true, but I got more clients. So when you have more clients, it's more work.
1: <laughs> more work, yeah.
0: So I moved to Las Vegas, got some great stuff going on here, more clients around the United States. And just one day I was just, yeah you know, that moment where you wake up again and i just like I, I i can't do this like what is wrong with me so i talked to my coach and my coach said you know in some you need to be working with gamers it's it's clear like that's your people if you're not working with gamers you're just not going to be happy mm-hmm. so i'm like okay let me go find them so i went you know onto streams and i started looking at like discord and esports and i'm like there's so many gamers here this is awesome they know nothing about sales and marketing it's like horrible like like they don't know anything. Like they don't know how to sell a t-shirt. What, what, what's going on here? Everybody's broke. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm gonna get some clients here. And I walk in and normally I don't ever talk this much on my own podcast. So I thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Um, okay. give, give me a break for a second.
0: Certainly. <laughs> so I uh, start talking to some of these gamers and you know, the first objection I got and one of the hardest for me to get over was, Brad, you have a doctoral degree you have started all these businesses, you've had all these success, you've written books. Like you have, you know, clients who charge $29,000 for two day consulting. Like you're like, you don't relate to me. I'm like, but no, I'm a gamer. And they're like, what game have you played last? I'm like, shoot. (laughs) I haven't had any time I haven't played any games (laughs) but I am a gamer because I like I sneak it in here and there but you know not enough apparently yeah that's how I really decided to start the podcast is because I know they need the advice I know gamers everywhere need this advice really badly really desperately because there's so many of them and they're just so bad at making money but there's so much money to be had. It's, it's not hard to make money. And sales is not hard. Marketing is not hard, especially once you know the core principles. Hmm. And like you've had the experience of going through this and learning it yourself. And now, like if you were told, hey, go start a show, you'd be like, got it. Yep. But for most people, it's like it's a foreign language. They have no idea. So I'm inviting guys like you on, trying to get that information out. Just, you know, what is it that they need to know in order to grow themselves? And I've yeah. had guests from you know small streamers with a couple hundred followers. I've had YouTubers with hundreds of thousands of subscribers and everything in between. Business owners making millions of dollars a year, business, you know, just guys who are working at like auto shops. So That's why I'm doing this just to get that information out there because it's just, it's so necessary in order to see this industry develop until the Mm. gamers themselves on the grassroots level really learn how to generate that income in gaming for themselves. We're not really going to see a real tidal wave movement in the, in the industry.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, the, the industry itself is, is really uh, quite exciting too. Right. And, and it's uh, when, when, when I, when I talk about the industry, I guess I'm, I'm talking about just online online video and online entertainment yeah right, in, in in general like game gaming for sure but YouTube and twitch and and when we look at those platforms right now we know that it's not just gaming that's, that's being created on those platforms anymore. Um, you know, what, what? like just chatting on, on, on the Twitch, uh, Twitch channel is, is huge. Just, just chatting is, is constantly up there in, in, the, in the top three or five channels being watched. And that's not people playing games anymore, right? That's people literally just sitting down and talking or maybe there's a travel vlog happening or maybe it's a talk show, right? Uh, Raj, Raj Patel's Raj Lorette, Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, if you've come across that, we had swagger souls on there just yesterday. Right. Um, that's, that's purely just a talk show, right. Um, it, it's a, it's a play on the bachelorette and it's absolutely fantastic, right. It's, it's great content. And I, I think what we really have here, um, with all of this online entertainment is really an opportunity to craft an entirely, I I wouldn't say it's an entirely new industry because it's absolutely not like entertainment has just been around since, you know, the Greco Roman period. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really about taking that entertainment platform that was, you know, and, and, and kind of recreating it now for, for the new generation in, in the internet, which is almost like another dimension, man. It's a, it's, it's, it's pretty sweet. And, uh, I, I personally am hugely passionate about growing that industry within that space and, and uh, whatever I can help to, uh, to do to kind of boost it is is definitely what I'm about. Like, what, what, what did I hear the other day? Um, YouTube, YouTube itself accounts for 37% of all mobile internet traffic worldwide. I believe it 37% of all mobile traffic is YouTube. That, that is just huge. Like world's second
0: largest search engine right behind Google. Enormous. Uh, Yeah. It's,
1: yeah, it's, it's absolutely enormous. Like you, you more people watch more hours are spent watching YouTube than people watch Netflix. Right. Mm -hmm. It's uh it, it blows me away that some of our creators, um, don't, don't quote me on this. I'm fairly certain, but, but we have, uh, some of our creators have larger viewerships than, you know, the national Australian news.
0: Right? Like, I can't believe it though. I believe uh, it's, it. No, that's so funny. Cause like I'm, I kind of come from this business background, right? Having been mm-hmm. a business coach for five years, business law attorney for, you know, four years or so. And I, I watch a lot of sales and marketing guys like all the gurus and all the trainers on this and like i went to um, a nationally recognized speaker like and he was talking about how to get big on youtube he's like i got 12,000 subscribers i'm huge on youtube massive right massive, yeah. massive.
1: i um it, it was funny you know if we're sharing that i had a i had a guy reach out to me on uh on on linkedin right and and of course you you, you get all this sort of stuff and he goes i'm a i'm a social media social media marketing you know, mastermind, right? I, I, I know it all. This is what I do. I grow channels. I'm huge. I'm, I'm massive and, and I'll help you to grow it too, Joel, right? I'll help you to do that. And I thought, well, okay. Um, some of our Instagrams, uh, our channel Instagrams have like 4 million followers, right? So if he, if he can beat that, then, then he'll probably be worth a look. So I jumped over over to his page and he had something like 2,000 uh, followers on his on his Instagram
0: I've got himdie
1: <laughs> and I was like well you you know I mean if is here's the thing right like if if you're going to um, say that that you are fantastic at what this is then I mean you should at least be able to show uh, within that product that you are really good at what you do right like it, it's it seems like if you can only get an Instagram page to a couple of thousand um, you want to say that you can get people to huge numbers and you should probably be able to do that for yourself or, or at least that guy on on LinkedIn probably should have come back to me and said, well, look, here's a couple of other channels that, that I've taken, I've gotten them into, into really big spaces, right? Like for instance, my social suck, right? Like you, you look at, (laughs) you look at, you look at my Twitter, right. Or, or, or my Instagram or whatever. And, and uh, you know, it's, they're, they're not fantastic, but I'm also not about growing my own social channels, right? But at, at the very least, when we speak to channels that we want to work with, or we speak to brands that we want to work with, we can at least point back to, you know, brand deals and channels that we, that we have grown, that we do operate with, and we're able to say, well, here is what we're able to do. Um, and anyone who who's kind of looking to, to work within that sort of space should be able to do the same thing if, if you really want to sell that product you, re, you really have to be able to show how how you can actually sell that product
0: All right, so I want to ask you I um, How how important is ads paid ads like are, these guys aren't just doing it all organically, right? So I think a lot of you know, especially people starting out think it's it has to be organic
1: um, or, or organic, as in the the revenue earned, or, or, or no? Do you mean I the... mean,
0: like actually just hoping and praying people come and watch them, or using Twitter to get the word out, as opposed to using like uh, YouTube ads, you know, four cents a view. Uh,
1: no, we. I I don't think we've ever purchased a, an ad to promote a channel. Really? Yeah,
0: that's fascinating. So how do you do it then? Like, what's the trick?
1: The the internet's an interesting beast, right? Um, there, there's a culture to it, uh, to, to the internet and, and essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or especially within, within gaming, right. There are memes that exist, you know, there are jokes that exist that Mm -hmm. unless, unless you're a part of that industry and you're a part of that culture, you're just not going to know it. You're just not going to get it. Um, the, (laughs) I think I think the real key is is to really understand the culture that that you're a part of, and understanding the culture that you're talking to. Right? The channels that really do make it really really do have their finger on the pulse when it comes to what that culture and that community is. You you they they understand the jokes. In in some cases, they create the jokes. You know, in 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 other cases, they just understand what it is to be that culture, and they are that culture. And I think that's that's really what that is you know whether or not it's gaming or if it's uh travel vlogging or whatever it is having that understanding of culture is really really the key because that's that's really what people want to engage with right
0: that's fascinating so how do how do they get found how do they go from like two hundred thousand to 2 million where are those people coming from
1: uh from all over the world bradford um <laughs> where, where are they coming from um look you you could you could find ways to um you know work with work work with certain youtubers right so if you if you're a smaller channel you make friends with a with a number of other channels uh we'll 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 take twitch as an example right maybe you can uh start off small you make friends with with a number of other channels and maybe you start creating you know twitch streams with them right like you uh you you know you you join up with them maybe you create um highlighted videos with that crew right um if if you find that some of your social networks that you end up creating um you know lend themselves to being um i, I guess opportunities for growth for you and and for them then then it's something that works out but um it's it, it's it's really hard to say bradford like i've i've, I've worked in music i've worked in uh, network television i i now work in youtube um and and uh and you know, I guess internet entertainment. It's it's really, really, really difficult to say exactly how you're gonna do it, but definitely culture and definitely social networks is, is is a good way to kind of push forward.
0: Okay. Um how does somebody build a culture? Other than, you know, the memes, other than the build. jokes. I mean there's a lot of personality involved. There's a
1: how do, how, do, how do you build a culture um, that's a big question we should We should take that one to a university somewhere Brad. <laughs> how, how, how do you build a culture um,
0: last time I asked that question, they charged me twelve thousand dollars so <laughs> mm. getting
1: this for free buddy. Um, how do you build a culture? I think you ha- you have to you have to start small with it right mm-hmm. and you 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 have to be realistic about you know, you know, what, what it is, right. It, you, you have to understand not only the culture that you're creating, but understand the, the people who make up that culture, right. Okay. It's, it, it's, it, it's going to be difficult for you to really make a culture when you are completely alienated from those who create it right with you, right. That's not just you and, and your friends, but it's also the people that engage and watch with it too. Right. If, if those viewers weren't there, there would be no culture. Right. Um, geez, how, how, how do you make it? I can't answer that question, Bradford. (laughs) I, 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 I wish I could. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's just really about, um, grinding man. Um, just, just, just finding that thing that works and, and, and sticking with it and, and, uh, finding ways to kind of to to experiment with it and, and, and grow it out. It's hard, hard to say, Bradford, hard question, dude.
0: Okay. Um, how uh how would someone go about asking or seeking sponsors investors promoters
1: um seeking investors um so so really really you know uh are we're, we're talking about sales at this point right if if, yeah. if you want to find these these uh these points for people to invest in who you are and what you do um the the bare bones of what you're selling uh is is an audience right so that audience is really the, the value to to these brands. They want to know that if they spend, you know, dollar value X on you for whatever that campaign is, that a certain number of people are going to to look at that message that, that you're portraying for them and that they're going to engage with whatever it is that deliverable uh, that, you know, is their, their desire to have. Um, and that really is, is what that monetary value is, is, is going to equate to. Um, so when, when you've reached out to these brands or these, these agencies or whatever they are, you, you need to be able to say, well, here's, here's me, here's what I do. Um, you need to say, well, here is, here is also my audience. Here are some examples of how they have engaged in the past. Um, and, uh, here is where they're located. Here's their age, their, their gender. If, if you have the information about what they're interested in, uh, then have an example of that, but then tailor that to whatever brand that is that you're talking to, right. Um, as best you can, maybe you don't have the data, um, that, that is absolutely required, but you can do your best to kind of show how that interest from that audience could engage with that brand. Um, and of course with, with all of that, Together, you, you, you know, you could send an email, maybe you reach out on, on Twitter, maybe the emails come in to you, uh, maybe you know a guy who knows a guy, um, maybe you link up with an agency, uh, whatever it is, you, you just need to make sure that you kind of show who you are, who your audience is, and how that uh, is value to the, to the company or partner that you're looking to work with.
0: Fantastic. All right. Um, let me ask this. If you could go back in time. If you go back to when you were, I think you said, you know, 2019 or so when you first started mm. back, back, way back when you were back at doing uh, music still, and you could go and you could talk to little Joel and you go, little Joel, this is what you got to do to 10x everything you've done for the next, you know, 14 years. What would you say?
1: to to that guy i'd I'd probably see probably a couple of things i'd I'd probably say to him um don't be so jaded about the music that you want to work with you know if we're talking about me specifically um i i was very much tied into the fact that i just wanted to work with you know these alternative bands or these these metal bands right i didn't want to do top 40s commercial (laughs) stuff right um if i really wanted to 10x what i was doing i probably would have told Younger Joel, hey, don't don't worry about you know the fact that you only want to work with a certain stuff. Like if you want to ten exit, you know you should probably start working with those those bigger band those bigger bands, right? That bigger music. But I probably wouldn't have listened to myself back then anyway. Even if I did go back in time, I'd probably say, "Future Joel, you're stupid. I'm not going to do it anyway." <laughs> um, the I, I guess another thing that I could kind of tell myself back then is that. Um, making, making tough decisions in business is a realistic nature of what business is, right? You have to be able to confront a tough decision. Um, like maybe there's a partnership that doesn't work for you. Right. And you need to be realistic with yourself about why that doesn't work for you. And you might also need to make a tough decision to break that partnership. Right. Um, the, the, that was something that I, I kind of learned uh, later on um, when I, I kind of, I, I committed myself too much to to a couple of different partners and and I felt like one or one of them didn't really work for me, but I felt like I had to be committed to them, and there was no opportunity for me to really move myself away from it, work with others, and that was a mistake. Um, I sometimes you just have to be realistic that something doesn't work and you have to move on from it. So I probably would have told myself that
0: for sure. Fantastic. Now, um, your job you're currently at, say someone out there wants to do exactly what you're doing, Joel, what advice would you give them if they're ground floor, haven't done anything yet?
1: Ground floor and they
0: haven't done anything yet. Yeah. Pablo Rasa, blank slate. (laughs)
1: Um, I, I would probably say to them, um, find yourself a, a couple of smaller channels, right? You, If you haven't worked within this space ever, <laughs> totally green, you, you certainly don't want to be working with someone off the bat who has millions of followers, right? The you, It is unavoidable that you are going to make mistakes, right? You will absolutely make mistakes. And there are things that you're going to have to learn, right? Like you if if you're working with a, a bigger channel and you have to walk into a negotiation, you know, with the big brand and it's worth a lot of money and you have no experience a negotiating uh, at all b negotiating at, at that size and, and then see, you know, well, what are the things that I need to be concerned about when it comes to a channel of this size, with this sort of influence, it, it's probably not the right space. If you're just, just, just starting up, um, I'd, I'd probably say that you need to find some smaller channels and really, prove to yourself and to them and to others that you can work with these smaller channels and take them from take them and yourself from nothing to something. Right. And when, when you're able to say, well, okay, I've worked with these channels and I've taken them from a hundred, you know, uh, subscribers to 10,000, 20,000, then you can say, well, I've 10 X, you know, what, what they are. and mm-hmm. And I can absolutely prove that this is the sort of value that I can bring. And then once, once you've done that, and you've made a couple of small mistakes along the road that haven't had massive dire consequences, you know, (laughs) and you've said, okay, well, I've learned from that. um, So I know not to do that again, or I know what the step will be next time I do that. Um, Then, then you can say from that point, well, okay, I've grown a channel. I've, I've learned from these things that I've done in the past. Now I can start taking on bigger and better things. Um, That is probably something I'd tell someone who just started. Um, I would also suggest uh, those people find a mentor of some kind uh, with, with it within the space, because there are situations that you know someone completely green will come up against. I I, I know I've I've come up against them all the time, and, and sometimes I still do. Right? You you look you look at a situation and and you go, well, I need to I need to make this happen, and I need to make this happen. But there's an issue right in the middle that is stopping both of those things from happening. And how do I, how do I deal with what this is, right? If you're able to, what's that quote, uh, to, to stand upon the shoulders of giants, right. Mm -hmm. To learn from those who have learned before you, if you're able to go to someone who you trust to give you good advice to say, well, okay, I've got this problem. Uh, and it's stopping these two things from happening. Um, having that person that you can go to, um, may help you in, in kind of defining how to solve that problem absolutely beautiful, helps
0: beautiful advice. Get a mentor, get a mentor I yeah. say all the time. Get a mentor. Yeah, no doubt. We all have a mentor. I have a coach. Do you have a coach?
1: I don't have a coach. Um, I, I have a, I have a family friend that I've gone to uh, a couple of times. He, uh, he, he works in uh, forex trading, forex trading software. And to me, the, the, the big issues that I've, I've kind of come up against were, you know, um, you know, big, big questions like who, who, who do I partner with here? How do I, how do I get, you know, this, uh, this dollar value X across the line and and how do I really portray what the value is and what we do when, when what we're doing is a little bit strange and, and knowing, uh, knowing a guy who kind of works within that, that high level trading, uh, kind of field has, has helped me with some advice, especially within that whole sales negotiation side. Um, I've definitely gone to my father a couple of times for advice as well. Um, he he's a, a, a very intelligent uh, man, and uh, is a pretty you know uh, always has given some pretty good advice. So I've uh, gone to him a couple of times, but no coach. Um, if 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 you know a guy Bradford, maybe you could talk <laughs> me into uh, finding one.
0: Absolutely. So um, we're gonna kind of bring this in for landings here in a second. So I got a couple more questions. if That's all right. Sure. Um, so you've told us all about the wonderful things that you've done. You've just had this incredible success throughout your entire life. It sounds like, if, if possible, can I humble you for a second? Sure. And ask you what's something that you failed at, and can you kind of describe how that how that happened and what you felt?
1: Yeah. Uh, what, what What did I fail at? So I, I started I started a company called the Esports Network, right? Um, and that uh, it just it just didn't work out. Right, it, it just it just didn't work out the way the way that we really wanted it to. We, my business partner at the time and I uh, had this fantastic idea to create a uh, the the quote unquote ESPN of of esports, right? And uh, the, the the thing that really kills me about this is that there's a guy over in LA right now who's doing the exact same thing, um, but you know he he's a lot more successful at it than we were. But, uh, but for us you know it was it was just a bit of a failure like we had uh, you know we, we were in deep discussions with one of the in fact the biggest telco here in Australia with the platform that we were creating they mm-hmm. supported us with with shooting a, a pilot for this uh, this this talk show episode that was going to be part of the content that was going to be part of the network we were speaking with ITV uh, regarding some content uh, we were talking with uh, with a a company, a streaming company out of um, out of the Asian region called iFlix. We were talking to them about some stuff. Like we we had all of these things in place and we felt like we had a really good business model and a really good product that was going to get across the line. But when we were in the the stages of really picking up that next line of investment and we were talking to you know most of most of the good VC firms and angel investors here in Australia. We we just, we just couldn't get it across the line, man. We we spoke to Oh geez, tons, thirty, thirty, thirty different possible investors, and a lot of the times, what we were confronted with initially, right, when we said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do, we're going to do the esports network. It's like the ESPN of esports, we're going to have all this content. Yeah. The first question back to us is, was, well, what's, what's esports? Right. right? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, <laughs> so. We we quickly found that through through that um finding that investment process that really all we were doing was educating, you know, all of these companies and, and all of these investors and TV networks, even in what esports was, I felt like by the end of it, we probably should have been charging consultants. Yeah, to right?
0: no, say <laughs> instead
1: of trying to find investment, right? And I, I was like, oh, geez, like maybe, maybe within this space, we, we we just had the model wrong. Maybe we should just be consultants, right? Because that's all we're doing, and they're just getting it all for free. Um, we we ran out of our runway, right? We we just ran out of it. We had um, you know some some on-screen talent that we're about to you know shoot you know, this program that was going to be a part of the network. And we were talking to, you know, other content providers about their IP. You know, um, we were having a chat with ES force about, um, you know, content crew and and events company out of Russia about their stuff. And and we just, we just couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it, man. Um, So I ended up, I ended up just kind of sitting up by the wayside. My, uh, my business partner left and uh, I I took over his, uh, his share of the company and then I just kind of did some, some small consultancy sort of work in amongst, you know, having a, having another job. Um, But yeah, it it just, it just, it just didn't work out. And I think what what I learned from that was a couple of things, right. Um, Timing is key, right? Like when, 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 when you're really putting forward these, these business ideas, I mean, you, you know, you could have come up with the most amazing idea 30 years ago, but if, if the industry is not ready for it and the the people with the, with the money to invest in it are just not willing to, to risk their investment on what that is, then it's, you you know, it's slim. It's a slim chance. You're going to get it across the line. I mean, sure there are opportunities to crowdsource stuff now. Right. And you could, you could potentially get it across that way, but you know, time timing is very, very, very key. Um, the other thing I learned is that the uh, the VC culture here in Australia is uh very 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 risk averse right from from what I understand you know it, when a when a company who is a, a startup out of australia right let's say they've gone one or two rounds out of Australia let's say they go over you know to the u s to kind of take that next big step uh, i've I'm led to believe that once they do go over there that that's, uh, you know, the VCs and, and investors over in, in America are quite, quite happy to, to, to look into that investment because they know that the, the due diligence in okay. Australia has just been like, has been like so key, like, like they have just done it over and over and over again. So, and that, uh, I guess just speaks to the fact that, you know, we, we have a smaller economy compared compared to the U S and, and, uh, and entertainment in general, you know, from, from what I've experienced is just, so 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 much smaller so to get something across the line here was was just a lot harder the uh the gentleman and his team who are doing um you know the esports network over in uh over in the us right now just from what i understand doing gangbusters and they've got a really really good team behind them and uh clearly found the investment they're looking for so well done to them
0: just proof that you can't win them all right Joel.
1: Can't win them all, man. And, and that's, that's just the nature of it. Like if, if you're not able to take a loss, right. Or take a hit and, uh, and you're not able to bounce back from it, then, you know, it's uh, it's just going to hurt you, you know, but. Uh, Sounds
0: like you've ban- bounced back spectacularly. So good for you. All
1: my- right, man. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud and pretty excited about the the team that I work with, man. Um, the, the talent that are a part of the Misfits Management Group, are just some of the most creative and, and just, you know, the, the best people, uh, I think I've, I've ever worked with just in terms of like culture of a team, right. If we're just going to take all of the, the manager managers and, and directors and such into account, like the culture within this business is just second to none. It's a fantastic place to work. Um, I love the people that, that, uh, that I work with and I, 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 especially love the channels that we work with too, and very proud of what they, uh, what they do.
0: That is so uh, great. Okay. So Joel, How do people find you? I know you said your, your social media isn't the best, but like, what if people want to get in touch with you? How do they, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, yeah,
1: look, so I'm on Twitter, so, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joel Axiom. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Joel Colley. Um, yeah, you can, uh, reach out to me there. I'd I'd be happy to have a chat.
0: Wonderful. All right. So kind of last question. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or anything I didn't ask you think we need to cover still?
1: think we've covered uh we've covered everything a fair bit um i I will do a shout out uh misfits uh, podcast live show uh some tickets still available um february 28th in boston and uh march 8th in la Uh, the boston tickets are really 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 close to sold out and uh and the la tickets are gone pretty quick too but uh if anyone's keen to break your, uh, your
0: bubble here joel but this won't come out before that (laughs) Ah,
1: dude. (laughs) I know. Okay, never mind then. In that case, nothing. Forget my plug. This is
0: being recorded almost three weeks in advance.
1: (laughs) Gotcha. Okay, cool.
0: All right. Well, Joel Colley, thank you so much for coming on with us. You know, hopefully we, we didn't rough you up too much in your first podcast.
1: No, no, it was, it was great. You were, uh, you were fantastic, Bradford. And, and honestly, thanks, uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's has uh, been cool.
0: any time. All right, yeah. Game Entrepreneurs, please go back and listen to this. He has a breadth of knowledge. He really, really tells you a lot of stuff, even though he wasn't very pointed necessarily with his, his points. But nothing to say against you, Joel, no. Like, it was wonderful advice. It was just told in story form, and that's usually the best way people can understand it. So please go back and re-listen to this if you have to. All right, on that note, I'm going to tell you all, Take it easy. Hey, if you like this podcast, I'd love to invite you to check out a little bit more about me, Dr. Bradford Carlton, the Gamerpreneur. If you go to my website, www.thegamerpreneur.com slash bonus, I'm going to give you a free copy of my book, The Warcraft of Business, where I explain my history in both gaming and business and how I brought the two together in order to create some very successful companies and help a lot of people. And all you gotta do is pay for shipping and processing and I'll send you this book. I I absolutely know you're gonna love it. All right, you all take it easy.